The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. For years, I had heard as an illustration about this ancient way of trapping a monkey. You take like a a container, a box, uh, a bowl, it could be a hollowed out piece of fruit, and you cut a hole in it, and the monkey reaches its hand in, and um, the hole's just big enough for the monkey to reach their hand in, but you put inside there something that it wants, a piece of fruit maybe, and you make sure that the hole's big enough for the monkey to reach its hand in, but not big enough that once it grabs that item, it can't get it, as long as it holds onto that item, it can't get its hand back out of the trap. I had heard of this illustration before, but I just so happened this week to come across uh, a video of this, and it's a really old video. This like film is like over 100 years old. It's 110 years old, so that's like pre-Charlie Chaplin days, okay? This is, it's a silent film, and maybe this is where this illustration started, but I want you to check this out. I want you to see a clip of this film of uh, this monkey that they set up this trap. Go ahead and roll that, that video. There it is. Okay, so they set up a gourd. They've hollowed out the top. They've cut a hole in it. He's trying to get his hand in there, but once he grabs it, can't pull it back out. And he starts to go a little bit crazy, okay? And he runs around trying to pull it out. And the only thing keeping him from getting his hand back out, it's very simple. He could easily get his hand out. He could easily get free from the trap. The only thing keeping his hand inside that trap or that gourd is that he won't let go of what's inside the trap. And if we had kept uh, rolling the film, you'd see the people who set the trap, they come up and they're very nice to the monkey. Some of you are like, I feel so bad for the monkey, okay? Like some of you are, I've lost you, okay? You're feeling bad for the monkey, okay? They come up, they're really nice. They put like a little like, you know, collar around him and now they've got a nice pet here for the monkey. But let me just bring that over to what we're talking about today because it's such a profound image of so often we feel trapped in something. There's so often that there, there's something in our life that we would love to be free of. We'd love to just uh, not have to deal with it anymore. But the only thing that's keeping us trapped in that space is it's not that we can't actually get out. It's that we just can't let go of whatever it is. And so here's this passage that we're going to take a look at is Jesus' own words, his own teaching. They're, they're so brilliant he just, it's, you see that this is not just a good teacher. You see this is God in the flesh. Like, his level of understanding of us is just divine. Like, he, he gets us because he wired us. He understands us, and, and he wants something for us. He ultimately wants to free us. We're in this series called City Changers, and so we've been for eight weeks, this is week nine of our series, and for eight weeks we've been talking about different ways we utilize our lives to bear fruit. Like I think all of us want our lives to have purpose, I think we all want our lives to matter. And so we've talked about all of these different ways that, are, that we can leverage our lives to matter. And in this one particular that we're gonna look at today, Before we get to how we can bear fruit, there's something that Jesus talks about that he first wants to free us from. 
There's something before we can even get to this other way, and it's an important way we bear fruit with our lives. Before we can get to that, he's like, hey, I first want to set you free from this trap, but it means you're going to have to let go of something. Here's what he wants to set us free from. Because where he starts, it's very different from where he ends. It's actually surprising where he ends up. But where he starts is something that's all too familiar for us. He wants to set us free from anxiety. Now, I don't know about you. I would love to be set free from anxiety. Anyone else say, I, I too would like to be set free from anxiety. Okay, I want you to hear what Jesus says. We're going to look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. Beautiful, powerful words of Jesus. He's going to talk about setting us free from anxiety, and then he's going to talk about a key way we bear fruit together. Luke 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. These are Jesus' words. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now, he starts his opening line there is, hey, don't be anxious about your life. I'm so glad he said more than just that, aren't you? If he left us with just that, we'd be like, thanks. Um, I'll get to work on that and probably get more anxious about how anxious I am and disobeying what you said. Like, he gives us more than just that categorical phrase, don't be anxious about your life. Now, there are some things, what we typically do is we usually say, okay, I get it. There are some things about my life that I shouldn't be anxious about, but there's some things that like it's probably valid that I'm anxious about. And so what we usually do with a passage like this is we say, okay, I'll stop getting anxious about silly things because there's some things we know that are silly. For example, uh, this past week, I was driving and um, my, you can see where this is going regarding anxiety, okay? I was driving, my kids were in the back seat, and I'm trying to teach my kids or model for them how a Christian drives, which is a challenge, okay? <laughs> and so I get, pull up to a light, I'm in the turning lane. This is one of those lights where if you miss it the first time, you might be there for a while, you know what I'm talking about? a couple cycles through, and I'm in the the turning lane, and I'm finally the second person about to turn, okay? And the turning uh, arrow goes green, and there's something that we do as South Floridians, where as it's red, like we hover our hand right over the horn, okay? And it's like like a high noon draw, right? As soon as it turns green, like we, we, you know, lay on the horn. So I'm trying to, I don't want to pass that down to a future generation of South Floridians, okay? So I'm calmly waiting. My hands are 10 and 2, and it turns green. And an entire second passes. Which feels like an eternity. And I'm like, okay. A second second passes by. And now I can't believe it. This person has lost their mind. A third second passes, and I'm now concerned for their, where they're at medically. Like, clearly they're dead. <laughs> they died at the stoplight. It's the only logical explanation. After four seconds, I decide to apply the, my horn, 
And there's a, my, my version, I don't know if you're like this, my version of a polite horn honk is the two honk, right? The one honk sounds angry, but if I can just get a beep beep, like if I can get that out, it sounds friendly. So I do my best beep beep, and then they go, and I'm driving. But man, my, my blood pressure after that, like, interminable four seconds of eternity, okay, and I'm driving, and I'm realizing literally that cost four seconds to my life, but the anxiety from that probably cost me a week, okay, from that one encounter. All right, we read this passage, and what we then say is we say, okay, I got it, Jesus. I get worked up about too many things. There are some things I should not get worked up about, but then we give ourselves an excuse, and we say, but there's some things like it's understandable that I'm anxious about. But here's what Jesus says. Your life is a pretty big umbrella. He says, don't be anxious about your life. And then he gives these two categories. He says, don't be anxious about your whole life. And then he says, what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Now that's two interesting things that he picked. I mean, there's a lot of other things he could have picked. But he picks those two interesting things. And I think here's why he picked those. I think because those two things are something common for every single human being for the rest of history that will read his words. If he says, don't be anxious about your crops and when harvest time comes, that'd been very relevant for that generation we would have to like jump through cultural hoops to try and understand what he's saying. If he says, hey, don't be anxious when you're in gridlock traffic on the 826. Like that'd be for our generation. He picks two things, what you'll eat, what you'll wear. Every generation in history deals with these two things and they each represent a larger category of our life experience. Also, interestingly enough, they're so like core to humanity, these two things play are two elements that played out even all the way back into the Garden of Eden, right? They ate something that was forbidden, and then they had to clothe themselves with something to hide their shame. These are two very fundamental things. At first he talks about, be careful the things that you eat. Don't worry about the things that you eat. These are, this is the first category. Now, our relationship with food is going to be a little bit different than their relationship with food in ancient times. We, when we talk about food, we ask, what will I eat? We don't ask the question, at like most of history and most of humanity even today, will I eat? We ask, what will we eat? So what's the question here? What specifically is he talking about? with anxiety, as he will unpack this through this passage, we will see the question here is that Jesus is tapping into is, will I have something to eat? He talks about that. So this first category is about food. Every human being needs food, and he's tapping into this question of safety and security. Will I have enough? Will I be okay? And so by giving this specific example of food, he's talking about the whole category of things that we find anxiety about, this whole category of things surrounding security. Will I be okay? Will we be okay financially? Will we have enough money? Will we make it? Will we lose the company? Will we lose the house? Will we go bankrupt? Will we, have, will we be able to pay the bills? 
would be able to make it to the next paycheck? Well, what do we do with, all, with this new expenses that I didn't realize? All of these things is surrounding questions of security. Will we be secure? But it's not just finances. Uh, there's relationship dynamics of security. Will I be alone? Will I be rejected? Will I be relationally safe? How about security issues surrounding um, our, our physical health? Is my body going to be okay? Am I going to get a bad diagnosis? Am I going to get bad news from the doctor? Or, or what, you know, what do I have to do now to make sure that doesn't happen? You know, we have all of those questions that are surrounding safety and security. So he picks out the most base example of that. What will we eat? The question of will I have enough is a security question. And he says, don't be anxious of your life. Let me give you two categories. First category is the category of security. Don't be anxious about the things that you need to feel safe and secure. Then he picks up second, a second category. He says, and don't be anxious about the things that you will wear. Now, clothing, again, is a theme all through Scripture, and it's a theme that often represents covering shame. We clothe ourselves with actual clothes, and we clothe ourselves with other things in our life because it communicates something about us. Clothing communicates something about us. Clothing is how we present ourselves outward. But there's many things that we clothe ourselves in. We clothe ourselves in pretty much any way we spend our resources. We clothe ourselves not only with our actual clothes that we wear, the styles we wear, the brands we wear. We clothe ourselves with the cars we drive. We clothe ourselves with the neighborhoods we live in. We clothe ourselves with the places where we go on vacation. We clothe ourselves with the stuff that we have, the, the gear that we have for, uh, for whatever our hobby is. Now, I was thinking about how um, when it comes to golf, you know, if, if you're a, a golfer, you want to have the, the newest gear. You don't want to just have the name brand gear. You want to have the newest edition of the name brand gear. And yet almost every single person I've talked to, when they get new clubs, it actually adds strokes to their game at first before it takes strokes off from their game. And I was thinking about that dynamic. Man, if getting new golf clubs actually initially hurts my game, there is a dynamic where often that can be more about clothing myself and presenting myself as something rather than actually something I need. It can be partly, what am I projecting and presenting? So here's the second massive category that he says, don't be anxious about the things for security. And he says, don't be anxious about the things we clothe ourselves with to find significance. All of those things that we clothe ourselves with, it's about, it can be about status, it can be about dignity, it can be about vanity, it can be about trying to present ourselves as successful, trying to present ourselves as significant. It can be um, even things like education or background or resume or the things when you're talking to a stranger that you hope somehow enters into the conversation about you. They're the things we clothe ourselves with for significance. And I think that we can agree those two categories pretty much summarizes Everything that we find ourselves anxious about, it comes down to this. It's the anxieties of, oh, man, are we going to be okay? Are we going to make it? Are my children going to make it? Are, they gonna, are we going to be secure? Are we going to be safe? And 
it's that the other anxiety, that gnawing, sometimes competitive or jealous or envious, it's that, that, that same type of anxiety that comes from just scrolling through social media and seeing someone that is presenting something that makes you feel jealous or envious. It's the reason why, man, social media sometimes can cause so much of a burden because we clothe ourselves with significance and we don't want to feel behind in whatever it is that we're after. You follow me? Gives me, he gives us these two big categories. He says, don't be anxious about whether you're going to eat the things of security. And don't be anxious about what you put on, the things you're clothing yourself with to project significance. Don't be anxious about those two things. Well, Jesus, you're going to have to help us because um, we are. So you're going to have to give us some, some more here. Let's pick it up in verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He says, okay. Don't worry about the, the food, whether you'll have food, the things that bring security. Don't worry about how you clothe yourself, the things that bring significance. And then he gives an example. He says, consider the ravens. Think about the ravens for a second. Ravens are a bird. He says, the ravens do not have any ability. They don't sow or reap. They're, they don't have a farm. They're not going to like go and plant seeds and wait for the harvest. They don't have any capacity to invest. They can't like store up, they can't put their money in a bank. They don't uh, invest their money in the stock market. Think about ravens. And yet they are taken care of. They find food. And he says specifically, your heavenly father feeds the ravens. Now, why did Jesus pick a bird, a raven? Why did Jesus pick that? Well, and uh, it could be because in the Old Testament law, there were several different types of animals that would be offered for a sacrifice. And of those animals, like a bull or a ram or a lamb, several different things, the bird, for some sacrifices, a bird was used, and it was the cheapest. In fact, it was an alternate option if there was a poor family and couldn't afford a lamb, they could instead offer a bird. And so he's picking by the sacrificial standards, he's picking like the least valuable animal. Now, of course, in God's sight, it's not like that, but at least within the sacrificial system, the least valuable animal. Now, not only did he pick a bird, he says, you're more valuable than birds, but the particular bird he picked is interesting. He picked a raven. Ravens are specifically called out in the Old Testament book of Leviticus as being unclean. So not only the, the least expensive sacrifice, but then he picks a bird that wouldn't even be used as a sacrifice. It's unclean. Why? Because ravens are nasty. Ravens will eat 
anything. They will eat trash. They will eat roadkill. They will eat anything. They're gross. They're formally described as unclean. And God is saying, okay, they're a bird, and they're like the lowest bird. And I take care of them. Don't you think I'm motivated to take care of you? Then he talks about clothing, the things we use to find significance. And he, he talks about a lily. Now, um, he says, there were lilies and flowers, wildflowers in Israel. And there were lilies that were in, grew in the wild, in the fields of Israel. But we actually, in our region, also have a type of lily that grows in the wild. It's uh, in the Everglades. It's a type of water lily. I think we got a picture of that. Uh, you can bring that up here. Uh, check that out. In the middle of the swamp, surrounded by pythons and alligators and gross brown algae-filled water, you have these gorgeous, brilliant lilies that just kind of burst out from the water, pure white, bright golden yellow in, in the middle. And you know what I love thinking about, about these flowers? I love thinking about how the fact that there's untold number of these blooms bursting out from the swamp that no human will ever lay eyes on. It's just for God, surrounded by miles and miles of Everglades that no one will see. He says, think about how beautiful that lily was. He says, even Solomon in all of his glory. See, he's talking about glory, status, success, significance. He says, Solomon in all his glory didn't have, wasn't clothed like one of these lilies. And by the way, Solomon, as in the Solomon, the son of David, Solomon, he was about as successful, had, a, had status, had glory uh, almost beyond any hu other human in history. I mean, he knew something about glory. I mean, he had wealth, he had success, he had fame, he had intelligence. On and on and on, he was as successful in almost every single category as you could be, and all of it was given to him by God. And he says, think about the lily. It's like grass. Yes, it's beautiful, but it's here one minute and it's gone the next. Probably five minutes after that picture was taken in the Everglades, one of those nasty leatherback turtles ate it, okay? Just like chomped it down. It's here one minute, God, gone the next. But obviously, what does this tell you about God? He loves beautiful things. He loves making things beautiful. He knows something about glory, he knows something about significance. He knows something about raising someone up from dishonor to honor. He knows something about that, likes it, cares about it, and works in that capacity in ways that are so mysterious to us. But if he does that for a flower, how much more will he do that for you? He says, stir up your faith. Think about these, think about these categories. Then he says this. Let's pick it up in verse 29. He says this, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom. And said, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love what he says here, several things. He says, um, man, being worried about the th- security and being worried about significance. Being worried about having enough and making it and being worried about achieving that, that goal and presenting yourself with whatever that significance is. He says that's what everyone in the world does. Shouldn't those of us who know Jesus have been reconciled to Almighty God, the Creator, shouldn't we have a different relationship with security and significance than the entire rest of the world? Shouldn't our relationship to how we find security and how we find significance, if we're pursuing that in the same ways as all the rest of the world, shouldn't something be going off in our minds saying, wait a minute, I'm a new creation. I'm dead and raised back to life. Shouldn't I be operating a little differently? Like it should look a little bit strange and alien to the rest of the world, the way I operate in my pursuit of or my rest in security and significance. It's the whole rest of the world does that. And I love where he says, and your father knows that you need them. He knows that about you. He's aware of those things. He says, um, he, and I love what he, how he puts it here. Did you notice how he refers to you as little flock? He says, little flock, don't be afraid. Don't envision Jesus standing over you right now, wagging a finger and making you feel guilt and shame, because he's not. I want you to hear the tenderness from Jesus. He's looking down at you like you're this fluffy little lamb that he wants to take into his arms. He's not standing over you with this, listen, he's not standing over you with this cold, sterile, Clinical sovereignty where he's saying, look, I've got some things I've got to do. I've got this plan that I've got to work out. You're just going to have to, you know, you're going to have to suffer for me to do this. No, he's, he's saying, you're like a little lamb. He, he's like wanting to scoop you up. He's, listen, he's, he's wanting something for you, not something from you. Do you believe that? He's wanting something for you, not something from you. He says, little flock, essentially, your father knows how you're wired. He he wired you. He knows that security and significance are a big deal. And he's not just sweeping it under the rug. He, He knows how you're wired. What he wants for you is he actually just wants you to find security and significance in something that is immovable, rock solid, not easily blown over. He wants you to find security and significance in a non-artificial place. He wants something for you, not from you. He says, in other words, seek my kingdom. In Matthew, the same passage, he says, seek first the kingdom of God 
and all these things will be added to you. He says, security and significance. In other words, he says, how about this? You let the Father, who is pretty capable, let your Father worry about your security, your safety, your provision, your protection. Let your Father worry about your security. Let your Heavenly Father worry about your significance. Let worry about your dignity. Let him worry about where your value flows from. You let God worry about your security, your father worry about your security and your significance. Let him worry about those things because he cares about them, he knows about them, and he has a plan for them. Let him worry about those. You just seek first his kingdom. You seek his kingdom, he'll worry about your security and your significance. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's a trap we reach our hand into the trap and we're trying to hold on to security and significance. And the only thing keeping us from getting out of that trap is that we won't let go. Okay, Jesus, we wanna let go, but you're gonna have to help us, right? And it's gonna need to be more than, okay, think differently. I'll try, I'll try to think differently, but I have a thousand things every day that stress me out on how I need to find security and a thousand things every day that stress me out about how I find significance. So more than just trying to think harder, just give me something to do. Give me an action step. Like how do I actually program my life differently? Like what would I walk out of here today? Like if you're saying I can be free from anxiety and I can start walking that adventure, leaving anxiety behind me and living in peace and living in rest, okay, you're going to have to tell me what to do because I need more than just a sermon, more than just some good ideas. I need something concrete. What do I do? He's telling you he wants to free you from something. And now he's going to give you and me, he's going to give us an action step on what to actually do. And it might not be what you're expecting. Here's what he says. Let's finish it off with these last two verses. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's what he's saying. When it comes to security and significance, he says, man, the place that we fight that battle more than any other place, there's a lot of categories, but there's a place we fight that battle, and it's with our resources. We leverage our resources to kind of make ourselves feel secure, and we leverage our resources to make ourselves feel significant. And, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, where our, our heart is, where our treasure is, there our heart is. It's so tied, it's a heart issue. But the, he, he brings, okay, you want an action step, he says? You want to find that freedom in other categories of your life? Here's the zone, Jesus says, to work this out practically. He says, work it out in your finances. 
think about it. There's probably, when you got married, there's probably a, um, in your marriage, there's probably a saver and a spender. If you're both savers, you have no fun, okay? Um, if you're both spenders, you're always in trouble, okay? That's kind of the way it works, but you're probably, there's a saver and a spender. What is the logic behind the saver? And, and some of you are like, I'm finally gonna get my validation I've been waiting for for <laughs> decades, okay? All right, what's the logic? It's, hey, I, it's, it's the, the good motive is security. It's like, okay, let's, let's pl plan wisely. Let's be ready. We don't know what's coming. And what motivates often a saver is, look, let's play it safe. Let's be secure. Let's make sure we have a plan so that we're, we're safe and secure. But you can take that too far, right? Someone could be miserly, and someone can actually go too far. They're spending. What's the motivation for the spender? Now, some of you spenders are like, here it goes. I'm going to get it right between the eyes. But hang on. There, for some of you spenders, you're like, hey, look, money is not everything. Let's have, we want to experience life. We want to have joy. Like, we, we, we want to live our lives, and we want to have that celebration. We want to do fun things as a family, fun things in our marriage. Like, that, that's not a bad thing. That's right. But we can take it too far also with spending, and spending can be about our pursuit for significance. It's I have to have this thing because it projects something about me, projects something about us, projects something about my success. And so you can see how this works itself out in finances so easily. But here's the problem. Money makes such a really, really good idol. It's like the idol that every person deals with, 100%. Because only God can truly provide security. And only God can truly provide significance. And any, uh, any other place we pursue that is artificial. You can never save enough. You can never be secure enough. And then Jesus points out the problem. You can do everything right financially to make yourself feel secure. And then some type of thief, something out of your control, can make you financially vulnerable. So you can be living with that anxiety for the rest of your life. Same with spending. We can, if we can use finances to try and find our significance. Plays out so much in finances. We can use finances to find significance. But it's never enough. There's always someone who's farther along, has the newer, the nicer, and then those things that we have, the moths, the, clo the new clothes we got, moths ate, or it rusted out, or went out of style, or broke down, or got scratched. And he says, I want to free you. He says, I want you to let go. I want to free you from finding security and significance in those things. And money is one of those things that so often is that place. And so since our heart follows our treasure and our treasure follows our heart, it's reciprocal. Man, the things that, you're, that you think about, you're passionate about, the things you research and study, that your finances follow. And then also where your finances follow, your heart follows after it. If you've ever bought a new car and you're like, I love this car, it's beautiful, I can ne never let anything happen to it. And so when you pull into Publix, you back it in all the way in the far back of the parking lot because you never want anything to scratch it. Why? Because your treasure follows your heart and your heart follows your treasure. And so Jesus says, okay, if you want to find freedom from this anxiety, here's what he's, he's saying. Disrupt the cycle. Disrupt the cycle. 
If you're letting Jesus and God the Father determine your, your security and your significance, then leverage your resources for the kingdom of God. We're talking about city transformation. We're talking about being city changers. We're talking about all these different ways that we bear fruit. But one of those very real ways, church, especially we're blessed as a generation that is probably the most resourced generation of the Christian church in the history of the world. We have an incredible opportunity to bear fruit with our finances. And what Jesus said is, he says, you're storing up treasures in heaven. It's an investment standpoint. As you invest in the kingdom of heaven. But here's what's so critical. I want you to see this. God is not wanting something from you. He doesn't need anything. He owns it all. He has cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. When we talk about how we leverage our resources, it's a worship issue. When we talk about our financial resources, we talk about, we talked about earlier um, today, we talked about how we bear fruit together as a church with our generosity. We talk about how we bear fruit as a church within our, with, within our church context. This is not because God needs it. It's, not, it's primarily, it's a moment of worship. It's because we're saying, God, as I give financially back to you, God, it's because I want to make it clear to myself and, and to you that this is not where I'm going to for security. And this is not where I'm going for significance. You deal with those things. I'll give back to you. Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Christian, so often we were holding and grasping onto security and significance. And we're holding onto that. If we just let our hand go, here's like, it's like Jesus comes up to us frantically flailing at that trap. I says, let go. Let go of now that bruised, squashed, mangled, rotting piece of fruit in that trap. Pull your hand out because I've set a banquet for you and I want to take you to that banquet. So here's the question. He says, hey, I want to free you. So here's the action step for each of us to walk out of here, to respond. Will we take a step and choose a life of generous, generosity. For some of you, that, that maybe you take a step forward in your local church here at City Rev, or maybe if you're part of another local church, you take a step forward. And you say, look, this is not because I want to help out the old church. This is because this is an act of worship to you, Jesus. This is that I'm saying this is where my security and significance is. This is because I want to bear fruit. I want to invest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to bear fruit and you take a step. Some of you, maybe that is part of your life. Well, listen to what Jesus says. He says, he uses a scary phrase. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. What does he mean by that? He's saying, he's, what he's challenging each of us to say is not just out of the excess. He's saying, re, 
Structure your life. Do, say no to some things so that you can put God's kingdom first. Start with his kingdom and rework the rest of your life. That's how he's challenging us, where he's challenging us to go. I want to challenge you. Maybe it's time to have a conversation with your spouse, and, but do it from a place of worship. But it's more than just that. He references the needy. He's challenging us to have a lifestyle of generosity. If you walk through life not saying, all of this is mine, but walk through life, man, it can be simple things. That neighbor that's asking to borrow that tool that you know they're going to break it. <laughs> that server at that restaurant that overheard you talking about Jesus and watched you pray. What do you want to communicate to that server? That might be the only interaction with a, a Christian that day. What about it's just come bring him bringing someone needy in your path? What would it look like to have a lifestyle of God, give me another opportunity to put your kingdom first? Church, if we want to be serious about bearing fruit, want to be serious about seeing South Florida transformed in our generation and being a part of that movement. But even more than that, if we want to be serious about saying, I'm all or nothing following Jesus, then we've got to bring one of the most deeply spiritual parts of our life before him and saying, all of this is yours, God. All of my finances are yours. I find my security and my significance in you. So this is yours. And we've got to seriously decide to live very different than the rest of the world around us because we're brand new creations in Christ Jesus. It's because what did Jesus show us with his life? He's the true son of David. And unlike Solomon, he didn't leverage all of that privilege and then just get dumped blessing on top of that to an unimaginable place. He was the son of God and actually emptied himself of everything. This is who, Christian, you and I follow and model our lives after. He emptied himself from everything. The scripture puts it like this. He who was rich became poor. What an understatement. He had the glories and riches of heaven and he gave it all up, even his life, so that he had nothing left. And God raised him up to the name that is above every name and seated him at the right hand of the Father. He was obedient to, to the Father and did whatever the Father asked to the point where he became the sacrifice. Not the least valuable thing as a sacrifice, the most valuable sacrifice imaginable. He who was perfectly clean became unclean taking our sin upon himself, the true lily of the valley. He's the one that emptied himself, and we follow after him. He left security and significance up to God, and God raised him back from the dead and lifted his name above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. That's the pattern, Christian, we follow after. I want to dare you today 
to let God do something for you. I want to challenge you to let the Holy Spirit give you courage to let him do something for you and stop looking to an idol for security and significance. You know it can't. That's not just something preachers say. You know that your resources cannot perfectly make you secure or significant. That's a hamster wheel that never lets up. So turn to God and take a step to make God your only, your only object of worship. Let me lead us in a time of prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Can we just take a moment of decision? Don't check out. Don't think yet about where you're going next. Just stay in this moment with the Holy Spirit. Commit to being a, a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And maybe you'll have, can you just take the moment and just this, take this sweet, silent moment, just ask the Holy Spirit what step he wants you to take. Pray that dangerous prayer. Ask him to give you the courage to do it and find freedom. He wants something for you, not something from you. Some of you are here and today, for you, you need to receive something. Did you know Jesus, what he purchased on the cross with his death on the cross to pay for your sins and his resurrection from the dead, it purchased something for you? He's not just, Jesus is not just a brilliant teacher, religious leader. He was the son of God, the savior of the world, and he, is, he purchased something for you. He purchased the forgiveness of your sins the reconciliation to your maker. It's through his work that you get adopted as a son or daughter to almighty God. You become an heir. You become a new creation. Your old past is washed away. You're made into something brand new like you're born again, freshly new. He starts working on you from the inside out, freeing you from all these things that are keeping you locked in and, and bring about this glorious fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He's He's going he's to ultimately birth in you that restful security and significance you cannot find in this world in all the artificial ways that he offers it to you. But more than that, he's offering you eternity, year after year, eon after eon, in his glorious, perfect presence, all because of the work of Jesus. And he's offering that to you for free. How generous is almighty God that all of the cost of your salvation was absorbed by Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ on his cross and he's offering that generously that gift of salvation to you. And you just have to receive it. Would you receive that gift today? Please don't walk out of here without receiving that gift. And if you want to receive it, let me just lead you in this prayer right there whether you're Cooper City or online or here at the West Pines Camps, just receive 
this gift. Just pray this to God silently in your heart. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I make you my king, my Lord. You are my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, we want to celebrate that with you. In fact, church, I believe there are people here or watching online that put their faith in Jesus. Can we just encourage them and just celebrate that with them? And praise God. If that was you, here's what I want you to do. Um, you can just grab that cell phone. Praise God, brother. Did you put your faith in Jesus today? Praise, hey, can we celebrate with this gentleman right here? Hey, praise God. Hey, for those of you who put your faith in Jesus, for those of you who put your faith in Jesus, what I want to invite you to do is you can go and grab your cell phone and you can go to cityrev.org slash faith. We want to, if you're watching online, we want to mail you a Bible. If you're here, hey, come and talk to us like this gentleman did. Let us know that you put your faith in Jesus. You can even go to the uh, front lobby. We're going to put a Bible in your hands today if that was the step that you took um, today. But hey, church, you know, as we are freeing ourselves from anxiety, you know what we need to do? We need to celebrate all that Jesus has done that's let us know we're safely in his hands. We're safe in Jesus' hands, right, church? So we're going to celebrate that together. Would you stand with me? Let's celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.